Hello and welcome to the Fish on Ted podcast, where we talk about the business of hunting and fishing. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today for this uh, uh, podcast. It's a very interesting topic that we're going to be covering today. And I've got two special guests that I'll be introducing here in just a second. This is the end of August in 2019. We're just uh, uh, tying up the uh, summer seasons for a lot of you and we're getting into the fall season. And one of the uh, big topics of the day, particularly in the Northwest, is fish management, management and fisheries management. And I have with us today, Dave Champ and Jack Smith, who uh, have uh, kindly taken their time to tell us about a grassroots um, organization that they have started in Oregon and Washington to help the hatchery programs. And so anyway, uh, Dave Champ, Dave's uh, love of fishing started along the banks of Gales Creek near his hometown of Forest Grove, Oregon. After returning from the US Air Force in 1978, Dave joined the Association of Northwest Steelheaders and progressed through the leadership ranks. He helped launch the association's Tualatin Valley chapter in 1981 and actually served as the association's president in 1982 through 1983 and to this day remains a life member. Dave was among the first to advocate for catch and release requirements on Oregon's North Coast to help protect wild steelhead and has very, been very involved in early what they call the STEP, uh, which is Salmon Trout Enhancement Program Habitat Enhancement Projects through Tillamook County. He was a member of the Tillamook uh, Anglers Board of Directors during the initial years of rebuilding and constructing Whiskey Creek volunteer hatchery facilities. In the sports fishing community, Dave is perhaps best known for his writing and photography contributions to publications such as uh, Fishing and Hunting News, Salmon and Steelhead Journal, and Tide Magazines. Currently, Dave serves as a chairman of the board for the CCA in Oregon and is a member of the CCA National Board of Directors he and his wife, Donna, live in Cornelius, Oregon, and we welcome Dave to the call. In, uh, and in addition, we have Jack Smith. Now, Jack is a professional fishing guide, has been for close to 40 years, and he's been a lifelong fish and fishing advocate. Uh, Jack's interest in fishing began as a youngster running the banks of Johnson Creek and the Sandy River. He launched his professional guiding business in 1978 and has spent almost 40 years helping others catch salmon and steelhead in Alaska, Washington, and Oregon. He's recognized as one of the top guides on Oregon's Deschutes River and in Tillamook Bay. Jack is a founder and board of directors member of the North Coast Salmon and Steelhead Enhancement Fund, best known for its annual Salmon Rendezvous a fundraising event enjoying its now 35th anniversary. He's a charter member of the Oregon chapter of Coastal Conservation Association, the CCA, in Oregon, and is currently serving as its state president. Jack serves as one of the recreational fishing representatives for the Oregon Hatchery Research Center, or the OHRC, review board, and is well-versed in hatchery science. Since its inception in 1996, Jack has been very involved in the Wilson River Broadstock uh, pro, uh, Broodstock Program 
and he's been an integral player in the development and implementation of the Nestucca, Siletz, and North Fork Nehalem River uh, broodstock programs and is viewed as a valuable resource for others interested in the broodstock programs. Jack and his wife Tina live in Tillamook, Oregon, and we welcome both of you. Jack and Dave, do we have you on the line? We're here. Yep. I'm here. Thank you. Terrific. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate you uh, both uh, stepping aside and, uh, and letting us talk with you this evening in, 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 in a time when uh, fishing is just red hot in Oregon and Washington. And, and again, we appreciate your time. It's a pleasure to be here. Yep, good to be here. Well, you know, uh, the, the, the purpose of this call is really of, of, um, of educating people. And I know that, you know, both of you from your accolades that we just went through, you know, have been very, very active in the fishing community for years and years, and in particular, the hatchery programs that are going on. And you founded uh, Hatchery Wild Coexist how many years ago now? I mean, it was it was actually uh, less than a year. Oh wow! Really? Okay. And and Jack, in regards to the the purpose of of launching that the the grassroots organization, what what is the focus of of uh, Hatchery Wild Coexist? I mean, I think our our basic focus is to show or educate people that hatchery and wild fish can coexist. And that we are, that, you know, the importance of uh, of abundant fisheries. Um, you know, the importance that that uh, we have abundant fisheries, not not only aesthetically but economically. Uh, uh, how important that is. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, give us just a little bit of history, Jack, on uh, on 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 this topic of of the coexistence of hatchery and wild fish, because. This started well before a year ago, and it sounds like some of the um, laws and, 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 and programs that uh, the various governmental agencies set forth were probably founded on erroneous information. Is that right? I, I, I you know, uh, I guess I would say correct. Um, the first hatchery in, in Oregon was on the Clackamas River in, in the late 1800s. And so hatchery and wild fish have coexisted for quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, back then hatcheries were definitely run differently than they are today. And as we've progressed and science has advanced, um, it has shown us that there's better ways to do hatcheries. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, and Dave, I don't want to speak out of turn, but it's our belief that uh, we need to, until such time as we can, recover hatchery fish to a point where they provide abundant fisheries. We need hatchery fish uh, because uh, fisheries are important. Mm -hmm. Well, you were saying as we were talking just prior to uh, this call, uh, 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 Jack, that the, the coho um, um, uh, planting in the state of Oregon has dropped dramatically over the last 20 years. Is that right? Yes, and and uh, I guess the point I would make about that is is if you if you know if you know the historical uh, issues about that, it's like in I think is uh, I may get the dates wrong, but it's sometime like in the 
1990s. I mean, they listed coho as endangered. At that time, it's important to note that uh, we 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 didn't clip fish. We didn't differentiate differentiate between hatching wild fish. A fish was a fish, mm-hmm. and and they were they were stocking some uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of seven million coho all along the Oregon coast. Right. Um, when they li- when they listed them when the ESA came into effect, Endangered Species Act, and they listed them as uh, endangered, they reduced, eliminated actually hatchery, almost hatchery production. They eliminated all harvest. They did. We've done great things with habitat, which is really important. Right. Um, trying to bring them back. They, they are still ESA listed, but now uh, back in that day. I mean that that amount of of coho uh, allowed us to have a, a, like a buoy tent type fishery for the entire summer from June until October. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem wasn't hatchery fish; it was the fact that we were over harvesting wild fish at an eighty or ninety percent rate, and and habitat was depleted. Um, wow! We really? brought them back to where they are now by by fixing those problems, uh, removing the hatchery fish did nothing but eliminate uh, the economic value they provided. Oh yeah. Wow. So did did I hear you right that they reduced the amount of hatchery fish from seven, what, 7 million? From 7 million to, from seven. Now, I mean, from south of the Columbia river, Uh they reduced it from 7 million to 220,000 currently. Holy mackerel. That is incredible. Now, during, during that time, um, as, as the um, wild um, strain of, of coho salmon, has that increased or is that pretty much just stabilized? Well, no, the, the number of wild uh, coho has increased uh-huh. because they also did, I mean, uh, they also did the most uh, intensive habitat reform ever done and they reduced uh uh mortality by i mean they reduced it to zero for quite some years and then mm-hmm. now now we're back to uh, uh catching some you know having some wild uh retention or wild impacts but right. they they reduced a 80 to 90 percent harvest rate to zero. Oh, got it got it i don't know jack i'm i'm sitting right now on the columbia river in hammond oregon right and i can tell you that we cannot keep a wild coho out here mm-hmm. right that's what yeah. i mean they reduced that 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 effect Right, and now and now the and now we're, I mean we're we're actually this year we're experiencing a good coho year, mm-hmm. but um, you know we're we're having a selective harvest in the ocean, and and uh, it's nothing like it was. I'll just say that. Yeah. What what was the what was their thinking back, you know, twenty some years ago? Um, it, wh- why were they concerned about the hatchery fish and what they were doing? to the wild coho runs back then that made them take these dramatic steps. Yeah, and I mean, I can't really speak to what they were thinking. Mm-hmm. 
uh, because, you know, scientifically, if, if you wanted to see what the problem was, you'd do one thing at a time, not three. Oh, good point. And, yeah. and, and, and see what was having an effect. And what they did was they, they reduced uh, impacts in three different areas. And, and uh, again, they're still ESA listed. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, but but what has happened at all the ports all along the coast has been a big economic drain on on those rural communities. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah they, when I when I was a kid when I was a kid you could have went to Garibaldi you could have went to Debo Bay you could have went to Newport you could have went to any place that had access to the ocean and from May until October you couldn't find a hotel room. Mm-hmm. At four o'clock in the morning, you couldn't get a place to sit in a restaurant. Right. Um, it, it was it was like it was like a boon fishery the whole summer. Yeah. And and uh, that's all gone. Yeah, I remember those days. I remember that. That's incredible. So, in in regards to the the, the you know the the the, the founding of um, uh, of of hatchery wild coexist. What is what is your purpose as an organization uh, and, and focus going to be over on the next couple of years? I mean, well, I would have I Dave. Think, uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll jump in on that one, Ted. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to be uh, on your show this evening. You bet. Um, Hatchery Wild Coexist is really focused on highlighting the importance of hatcheries. You know, in Oregon, two-thirds of the hatcheries are mitigation hatcheries. So they were hatcheries that were designed and constructed to replace natural production. Mm -hmm. Most of those are because of high-head dams that prevent adult fish from going upstream. And if they were somehow successful, in a lot of cases now, they're trucking fish around those structures, but they also prevent the juveniles from coming back downstream. So decades ago, they realized that in order to build these structures that are essentially protecting the Willamette Valley from flooding events, Mm -hmm. that there was going to be an an impact on natural production, and it needed to be replaced. Mm -hmm. And they did that through hatcheries. So the deal was made decades ago, long before you and I and Jack got involved in this issue. So to go back now, decades later and say, okay, we're gonna replace this natural production, that's simply not feasible. Mm -hmm. It's not doable. Mm -hmm. 70% of the salmon and steelhead harvested in the state of Oregon and over 50% in the state of Washington come from hatcheries. Hatcheries are here. Hatcheries aren't going away as much as the anti-hatchery folks would like to see them go away. Mm -hmm. So what we are wanting to do is challenge the anti-hatchery narrative that says all hatcheries are bad and clearly they are not. There are examples, Ted, where hatcheries have been used to reestablish runs that were on the verge of extinction. 
hatcheries used properly can help rebound the number of wild fish, not harm wild fish. Correct. And folks need to understand and realize that. And, you know, when, you, when you're talking to fishermen, when you're talking to anglers, guys like you and I that understand what's going on out there, uh-huh. we get it. But right. unfortunately, the majority of folks don't know the difference between a bluegill and a Chinook salmon. So true. They don't fish. Fishing isn't important to them. And right now, they're being fed this anti-hatchery rhetoric, mm-hmm. and they're buying into it. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, through campaigns like this, and we think this is the campaign, right. we're going to lose our hatcheries. Yeah. And, and, Ted, that is not a good thing for local communities. It's not good for the states. It's not good for the region. It's not good for any. It's it's not good for wild fish. Right. If the hatcheries weren't there, wild fish wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. Well, I I grew up just miles from the Lieberg hatchery, and on the McKinsey River in the Willamette Valley, and and uh, you know that was just always uh, you know part of the uh, the infrastructure up there. And when I heard earlier this year that there was talk of shutting down that hatchery. I'm, I'm thinking this can't be for real. I mean, the, you know, it, it's such an important part of, you know, the fishery and the economy for that uh, McKinsey Valley and that sort of thing. And I'm just going, holy smokes, this, this seems surreal at that point. And, and we sort of uh, dodged a bullet, did we not, uh, just recently? Boy, you, you are absolutely right. You're hitting the nail right on the head there. So the Lieberg hatchery is is one of those mitigation hatcheries that was constructed by the Corps of Engineers. And essentially, the Corps has a contract with the state of Oregon to run this hatchery in perpetuity to replace the natural production that was destroyed by the Lieberg Dam. Mm-hmm. The Corps found another way to produce those fish, so they decided they were going to mothball the Lieberg hatchery. They were going to shut down a $1 million hatchery. And the sport fishing community said, (laughs) we're not okay with that. We need to find a way to fund the ongoing production from the Liebberg hatchery. Mm -hmm. And a year ago, sport fishing organizations came together, worked with the state of Oregon, and managed to get the funding to keep the hatchery going. Right. Well, that was a one-year deal. So this year, we came up upon the legislative uh, process, and Governor Brown did not include funding for the Lieberg hatchery in her budget. So the sport fishing community reacted with, what? (laughs) What do you mean you're not going to fund this hatchery? And uh, so we went to work to ensure that the Lieberg hatchery had the money that it needed to stay in operation for the next two years. Mm-hmm. Ted, it took until the last minutes of the late legislative session to get approval from the legislature for the funding for Lieberg Hatchery. Now, that resulted in a bill, House Bill 5050, uh-huh. that the governor has to sign in order for that funding to actually appear. She has... She had 30 days to right. sign that bill. She waited until the 
seventh day. Oh my. And she could have line item vetoed any one of the funding um, projects in that bill. Yeah. And she was pressured to a degree that I haven't seen in my 40 years of dealing with fish advocacy issues mm -hmm. by the anti-hatchery advocates to not authorize the funding for the Leeburg hatchery. You know, you and I were talking days ago, and I mentioned to you that the Oregon League of Conservation Voters, which yeah. is the largest and probably the most influential environmental organization in the state of Oregon, actually wrote the governor a letter asking her not to fund the Leeburg hatchery. Really? Now, the good news is, yeah. Now, the good news is, again, on the 27th day, she signed that bill authorizing two more years of funding for the Leeburg hatchery. Mm -hmm. But folks, Ted and your listeners have to realize that this is a wake-up call. Had yeah. she put one pen stroke, that funding would have gone away. And once you mothball a hatchery, the chances of getting that hatchery reopened are minuscule. Oh, oh absolutely. This is the real deal. Yeah. This is the real deal. We, we are facing the possibility of having major hatcheries in the state of Oregon. Same threats are in place in Washington. California is dealing with this issue. Mm -hmm. It's huge. The, the anti-hatchery folks have mounted a nationwide campaign. Right. And, and, it, it, and it's the real deal. <laughs> very well funded, very well put together, and we are already starting to see the impacts of it. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about, you know, their their funding, because it seems like, you know, they're not going to roll over on this and just call it good and, and go uh, focus on something else. They're, over the next couple of years, they're probably going to double down, and the uh, sport fishing community and the communities in general in Oregon really need to get behind this to combat what, you know, uh, their, their pressure that they're going to be putting on, uh, you know, our governmental bodies. Well, I, I, I agree 110%, and, and I know Jack as well. Um, so Patagonia, the big talk in the last several months has been Patagonia, who mm -hmm. has uh, produced a documentary, and they, they hired award-winning producers and and. Uh, videographers to put this documentary together. It's called Artificial. I've seen it, it and Jack appears in it, <laughs> believe it or not. Really? He provides the one and only pro-hatchery perspective in uh, the documentary. Uh -huh. But Ted, it is incredibly compelling. And once again, I, I mentioned earlier that the majority of people that are getting involved in this issue aren't fishers. They, right. they don't they don't go out and fish so mm -hmm. so the sport we love is meaningless to them right they don't they don't go out and catch fish they, mm -hmm. just knowing that fish exist is all that's important to them yeah. and artificial paints a picture that if we don't close all hatcheries up and down the West Coast, that includes British Columbia, Washington, Oregon, and California, mm -hmm. all of the wild fish are going to go extinct. In fact, their closing statement. So if anybody wants to go watch Artificial, I'm going to ruin the ending for you right here. Ted, have you seen it? 
No, I have not. I, I need to. Well, here I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ruin the ending for you. So, so the the final scene, if you will, is this great big black screen, and then pops up these white letters that say, "Hatcheries and fish farms are driving our wild fish to extinction." Oh wow! Really? And basically, what they are promising is that if we close all the hatcheries. Tomorrow we'll have more wild fish than we know what to do with. Real, which is the furthest thing from the truth. Well, I right. it's, what, it's what we—it's what we were promised on the Clackamas when they did away with the best summer steward uh, fishery in the lower forty-eight. Yeah, is that if we did that, we'd have wild winter steward like we've never seen before, and it, mm -hmm. it uh, just like just like their promise it's it's it won't it won't ring true yeah yeah wow it's, that's amazing it's ironic it's ironic that the that that uh, artificial film is produced by a uh uh production company uh whose title is liars and thieves because what they what they're doing in that film is lying to us and stealing yeah. our 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 fisheries yeah no kidding and being funded by Patagonia, I, that, that makes no sense to me. Right. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. You know, I was um, interviewing just a, a couple weeks back, James Stone of the Northern California Guides Association, one of the largest uh, uh, guides associations in the country. And he was throwing out some numbers that just blew my mind. And, and one is that he shared was that that fishing licenses now in the state of California are at about the uh, about 50% of what they were, I think he was saying 25 years ago, something like that. So even though the population in California has exploded, the amount of people going out and enjoying the, the natural resources of that state in regards to fishing and that sort of thing has been cut in half. And you can sure see that you can play on the emotions of people that are not really, you know, going out and, and doing, you know, uh, fishing or, or hunting or, or being in part of the outdoors. And, you know, on, on, the, uh, on, on the very thin top layer, you go, well, that's, you know, in their minds, gosh, saving these, these wild fish is really important, but they're not getting the whole story, are they? Not at all. You know, and, and one of the things that's really been wound into this whole story of late are the, the killer whales, right? The orcas. Mm -hmm. And so, so uh, they're saying that orcas will not eat hatchery fish. And because of hatchery fish, there are fewer wild fish. So in order to save the orcas, we need to stop hatchery production. And, and nothing could be further from the truth. Really? Yeah, so, so Governor Inslee convened an expert panel, an expert committee, to study the situation with the orca whales. And you know what the number one recommendation that came from this committee of experts was, short term, to save the killer whales? Increase hatchery production. Oh, really? Oh, no kidding. 
So the experts say, the experts agree that what we need to do in order to ensure that we don't see these orcas go extinct on our watch is to mm -hmm. increase hatchery production. But yet we have companies like Patagonia that are filming documentaries that are telling the general public what we need to do is shut down hatcheries in order right. to save the orchids. Right. Holy smokes. That's crazy. So, so in, it's scary. In, yeah. So, so in, in your eyes, how does, how does your organization um, help combat that over the next couple of years? And what can we do as a fishing populace to help you out? Jack, you want to grab that or you want me to jump in? No, go ahead, Dave. So, Patagonia, huge international company, deep mm -hmm. pockets, one of many that are getting involved in this issue. Mm -hmm. So, we're just a group of sport fishers, right? We don't have those kinds of resources. Right. So, the, the basis, the framework behind Hatchery Wild Coexist, the campaign, is to develop a coalition of a whole bunch of us little guys mm -hmm. to push back against the big guys. Mm -hmm. So all of us banding together in a coalition can generate a louder voice, mm -hmm. a better informed voice, and that's what it's gonna take to keep the decision makers from shutting down our hatcheries. And that's well, what Hatchery Wild Coexist is all about. And it's a local voice, isn't it? I mean, it, it, hopefully that carries some weight that it's the constituents that are the ones that are behind this versus the big corporations out of, um, you know, uh, Southern California or whatever. There you go, Southern California. That, that uh, tends to turn heads quick in Oregon and Washington when you point out that it's uh, this international corporation from Southern California that's trying to tell us how we need to manage our fisheries in the Pacific Northwest. But it, the response, Ted, has is, is been amazing. So mm -hmm. as Jack mentioned earlier, we launched this campaign just months ago. It actually became real in February of this year. So we're talking six months. Right. And over the course of six months, uh, we're over 70 partners in this deal now. So we're talking major sport fishing organizations that wow. have joined the campaign and a whole host of businesses, both large and small. You know, mm -hmm. with the Yakima Baits, the, the Sport Co., the uh, North River Boats, um, just a wide spectrum of folks that recognize the importance of healthy and abundant fisheries along our West Coast. And, and that's how we're going to change the narrative. Mm -hmm. Our website, hatchery-wild-coexist.com, is intended to provide folks with factual information that contradicts the anti-hatchery narrative. Hatcheries mm -hmm. are not the enemy. Hatcheries are not the problem. As Jack mentioned earlier, it's you and me. Yep. We live in salmon habitat. We mm -hmm. have destroyed the salmon's habitat. And to think that all we need to do is shut down a bunch of hatcheries 
and miraculously all these wild fish are going to come back is not realistic. You're right. We're, we're, I was talking to a group just the other day. Four and a half million people live in the Puget Sound area. Mm-hmm. You're not going to pick up four and a half million people and move them out. One and a half million people live in the Willamette Valley. Mm-hmm. You're not going to pick them up and move them out. Hatcheries are a part of our future. So what we're advocating for is doing hatcheries right. Mm-hmm. As Jack mentioned, we haven't always done a good job when it comes to our hatchery practices. And sure. we've learned a lot over the course of the last decades. And we can do it better. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're advocating for. Mm-hmm. We need hatcheries. And we need well-run hatcheries that are using the best available science to ensure that we're putting the best fit fish into the environment that we can produce. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, isn't there a lot, a lot of focus on broodstock and that sort of thing that the hatchery is using um, and, and improving those strains and that sort of thing? Absolutely. And, and, and so we're lucky tonight to have with us what, a guy that, that knows just about everything there is to know about broodstock programs. So I'm going to let Jack tackle that question. Oh, terrific. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's important to note that it, it, uh, uh, I'm not going to get the right number of years ago, but um, Congress enacted a science a group of scientists, hatchery science review group to uh, review hatcheries and, and come up with some recommendations of how we could make hatcheries better. And one of their recommendations was to improve broodstock standards. And what that meant was um, to the degree possible to infuse wild genes into the hatchery programs, you know, so that uh, uh, hatchery fish were more like wild fish. And the more, uh, the bigger infusion of hatchery genes you have in the, in the, in the broodstock of a hatchery, the, the better, or the, the more like wild fish, those, those, uh, hatchery fish are. So, mm-hmm. um, there's science behind using wild fish for broodstock and infusing those into your hatchery program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what we, what we've done in the Tillamook area is, is as an example on the Wilson and the Stucca currently, it's like every single hatchery fish, every single hatchery winter steelhead that we release from those programs, their parents were wild fish. So um, obviously that reduces any effect the hatchery might have had on, on those fish. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. Really? No kidding. Okay. Well, that, well, that, my, that do- makes all the sense in the world. And by, and by doing that, uh, you get a better return. It's somewhere between three to six percent, depending on the year. You get yeah. a better, the, the hatchery fish return at a higher rate when mm-hmm. they uh, es- escape into the wild and end up on a spawning bed. They do less harm than than if you had out of basin or uh, you know uh, fish that weren't broodstock fish, and right. they uh, appear in the creel at a higher rate. So mm-hmm. they're just all overall a better fish. It's a better way to do hatcheries. Right. Right. You know, Jack, a lot of our listeners um, are, like you, professional fishing guides. And, and um, you know, by getting the word out about the cause and the organization that you have, you know, some of the most trusted voices are these guides that are 
living it day in and day out. Um, um, how does how does a professional fishing guide get involved with the Hatchery Wild Coexist program? I mean, get on the website, uh, add your name to the list of businesses and and guides that are endorsing it. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, talking to your clients. It's like, and it's not just guides; it's like everybody. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk to the people you deal with on a daily basis. I know Dave earlier on said that uh, you know the misinformation that's being peddled, and the people that don't really aren't as involved as we are as guides or as anglers. What we need to do is talk to our neighbors. Uh, uh, we need to talk to those folks that we know that aren't involved in fishing like we are, and and educate them on on mm -hmm. what the issue is. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Are, are, and, and obviously the website is a great place for them to get that information. Are there, are there other places or um, uh, are you uh, going to be involved in any of the, the upcoming uh, uh, you know, sportsman shows and that sort of thing where people can come and find out more? We, we will be at the sportsman shows, definitely, yes. Uh-huh. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, that, uh, that seems like the, a great way to, to reach a, a number of people. Um, and then recently you have just announced a, uh, a uh, funding campaign for the organization. Can, can you give us a little hint of how that works? I'd be happy to jump in there on that one. Um, so so we've, we've talked a little bit about the science, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and the science is actually contradictory. So there is science that says hatchery fish can have a negative effect on wild fish. And there's right. science that says right. that hatchery fish can have a positive effect on wild fish. Mm -hmm. So if you get into a scientific debate, it's back and forth. I've got one, I've got two, my <laughs> scientist is smarter than your scientist. You see where that's going to go. Actually oh, yeah. nowhere. So, so if you put that information in front of a decision maker, again, somebody that is largely uneducated on this issue and mm -hmm. to probably a large degree disinterested in this issue, the science becomes very confusing. Sure. So we have launched recently a capital campaign to fund an economic study. Oh, okay. So when you stop and think about hatcheries and the fisheries that they produce and the impacts that they have on local communities, on states, on the region, we expect that the results of that study are going to be profound and convincing to decision makers when it comes to whether or not they continue to fund our hatcheries. Mm -hmm. But that costs money to have a a well-known, credible consultant do a study that's looking at the economies in, in two states, Washington and Oregon, uh, that's quite time-consuming and it becomes very expensive. So what we're doing is asking everybody who has an interest in this issue to give a little mm -hmm. so somebody doesn't have, a, have to give a lot. Right. So if there's a whole bunch of us involved and we're all putting in our 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks. And together we can amount the kind of money that's required to do a study of this nature 
We don't have to go out and find that single funder right. that's ready to write a check. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. How, how, are, how are you doing on that goal right now? We just launched this campaign the 1st of August. So uh, we're having this conversation on, what is it, 16th, 17th of August. Uh, so it's just been it. underway yeah. for a couple of weeks. Uh-huh. Uh, but the reaction has been largely positive. We're seeing folks do exactly what we need them to do. Give mm-hmm. what you can. Mm-hmm. We just need a whole bunch more to step up and do the same thing. Very good. Very good. Well, uh, uh, and, so, and, and it's easy. So mm-hmm. all you have to do is go to our website. Again, hatchery-wild-coexist.com. And there's a little green icon that will chase you everywhere you go on that website that says donate. Click on that icon, decide how much you can afford to donate. Mm -hmm. And if you donate $50 or more, we'll send you the original, the first produced Hatchery and Wild Coexist hat. There you go. For donations under $150, We'll send you a hat and a hoodie with wow. Hatchery Wild Coexist emblems on the front and on the back. They are dandies, Ted. You'd look good in them. <laughs> I bet I would. And, and that's for donations of $150 or more. Is that right? Yeah, $150 or more, you'll get the hood, hoodie excuse me, uh-huh. and the hat, $50 or more, and we'll send you the hat. Awesome. But we're willing to take a buck if, mm-hmm. if that's what works for your budget. Sure. Sure. Well, with all of us um, in, in the industry and, and uh, the sports fishermen themselves out there, I would, uh, I, I would bet dollars to donuts that you're not going to have problems funding this, but you're right. All of us have to step up and do a little and it will accumulate and, and, uh, then once the study is done, uh, that gives us more fodder, does it not? To um, uh, exactly, yeah, to, to combat the uh, the information out there that's not quite correct on uh, the hatcheries and, and the fisheries in the Northwest. Well, I, we believe that it will provide us the facts that we need to be able to demonstrate how important these fisheries are to the mm-hmm. Pacific Northwest. Right. Mm-hmm. So the anti-hatchery folks believe that, you know, again, we're going to shut down the hatcheries and tomorrow, miraculously, we're going to have all these wild fish. Right. Well, we know that's not going to happen. But think about the impact of shutting down all these fisheries up and down the West Coast and the impact that that's going to have on those local communities. You know, the anti-fishery folks don't think about that. They don't care about that. Yeah. We think that's an important aspect of this conversation. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, you know, take a parallel industry like the logging industry back in the 80s when all of that started happening and and what happened to the communities large and small up and down the West Coast was dramatic. You could sure see the same thing happening with, you know, what's going on now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys are doing good work. Go ahead. Well, well, thank you, and, and I apologize for, for interrupting, but a question that comes up quite often uh, from folks, and, and, and knowing 
that your audience is largely uh, guides that have an interest in this issue. And folks want to step up and support Hatchery Wild Coexist, understandably. Mm-hmm. We're often asked, so, so how do I get my logo included? How do I officially endorse Hatchery Wild Coexist? It's really easy. Okay. Again, go to our website, hatchery-wild-coexist. There's a section there to contact us. And essentially, it's the same as an email. You just don't know my email address. So send us an email. Tell us that you're interested in endorsing the campaign, putting your name on the line, putting your business name on the line. We'll follow up. And it's just a matter of you, whatever business you may be in, agreeing to allow us to use your logo in our advertising so we in effect are promoting your business while at the same time promoting the campaign we uh, will do everything we can to promote your business through our social media which if you've been to our web page or excuse me our facebook page you'll know that it is very very active and has grown uh big time we just had a post that was shared over 700 times in wow. the first three days that it was posted. Wow. So, so having your name, having your logo associated with the Hatchery Wild Coexist campaign is good for your business and it's good for the campaign. So it's just that simple. Tell us you're interested. Tell us you want to be a part of it and we'll make it happen. Wow, that's a win-win situation. In the marketing world, I think they call that a no-brainer. I agree. <laughs> so tomorrow, Ted, tomorrow we're going to put out a meme that says Fish on Ted supports the Hatchery Wild Coexist campaign. Are you okay with that? I am a-okay with that. I'm more than proud to have, the, have my name associated with it. I appreciate what you guys do. Thank you. Terrific. Terrific. Well, well gosh, I you know, I, we could go on for, for hours, it sounds like, and, and it sounds like we need to. Um, but, uh, um, is there anything in the, in the near future, uh, that, that is coming up that we need to be, uh, alerted to as a, as a populace or just, you know, dig into this and start, uh, you know, individually, you know, uh, um, uh, spreading the word about your organization and really what's at stake, um, you know, for our communities. From my perspective, I would say the latter. What we're really asking people to do is to become knowledgeable, Mm -hmm. help spread the word by whatever means, word of mouth, talking to your friends, neighbors, anybody that will stop long enough to listen. Mm -hmm. Give us feedback. So if there's something that we're doing that you think can be improved, again, Mm -hmm. contact us through that webpage. But really the key is to spread the word. We've got to change this anti-hatchery narrative. Hatcheries are not the problem. Hatcheries to a large degree are the fix. And we need to make absolutely sure that they're a big part of the future of our fisheries. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Jack, we we appreciate uh, hearing uh, uh, from you today and uh, all of the good works that you're doing. I mean, uh, 
you know, you really dug into this and, and, um, and, and, and you're doing it obviously from the goodness of your heart. And uh, we as an industry, uh, you know, want to show our appreciation that way. And, uh, and, and thank you for what you're doing. Dave, and, and also, uh, you know, the same thing to you. I mean, it, uh, it, it, this is obviously something that, that comes from within, not from without, from someone like you. And uh, it must make you feel good that you're part of, you know, such an important role that uh, needs to be held um, at this time in our industry. So it's, it's kind of one of those things where you feel good about it, but at the same time, it's extremely frustrating because mm -hmm. we want to move that ball all the way to the end zone just as quickly as we can. Yep. And it's taken us decades to get to where we are. There's not mm -hmm. going to be an overnight fix. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you that Hatchery Wild Coexist, the campaign is, is being um, run by volunteers who are absolutely committed to this effort 110%. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much. I appreciate the, you being a, a, a guest and you're welcome on, uh, uh, on our podcast. And any, anytime you want to release new messages and that sort of thing, let us know and let us be an advocate that way also. But uh, thanks again and, and uh, tight lines. It sounds like it's, uh, it's a great season out there. Yeah, appreciate it. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks. Hang on, guys. Thanks, Ted.